Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living. You know, as a practitioner of almost 30 years in the mental health field, I've watched a slow evolution, still slow, I might add, into a more soulful look at the human mind. There are many of us out there now practicing transpersonal therapy, a therapy that allows the client to move beyond the realm of traditional talk therapy and into a recognition of that which is beyond or transcends his or her own ego identification in the world. One of the pioneers in creating that essential transition in therapy, psychology, and psychiatry is here with us today. Dr. Judith Orloff originally wrote the book Second Sight in 1996 in which she tells of her own difficult personal and professional journey toward an intuitive look at psychiatric medicine. And now she's releasing a new edition of that book in order to fulfill her own yearning to free up her intuitive voice and to help others to do the same. As a board-certified psychiatrist in private practice and an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA, she works in a mainstream medical system that, as she puts it, too often worships the intellect at the expense of intuition. The writing of the original version, Second Sight, was a challenge, in part because she had to face her own fears about what her physician colleagues would think of what she'd written. But she was pushed forward by her belief that favoring science over intuition is, in her words, a deplorable disservice to patients. Since that original publication, not only have we all seen that perception that the perception that intuition is woo-woo is fading, But now, many more people are taking advantage of complementary medical modalities and holistic therapies that are based in intuition. We've also seen businesses take an interest in intuition as well as crime-fighting agencies. That said, there is still considerable resistance to intuition both within and without. And so today, we're so fortunate to get the chance to talk with Dr. Orloff about her own journey into someone who has become very comfortable with that authentic inner authority. Dr. Orloff, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I have enjoyed reading your book for the second time. read it earlier and have read it again now and was just loving it all the way through. Um, and I wanted to say congratulations on re-releasing that book, first of all. And uh, then I wanted to just sort of jump in there and talk to you about, you know, um, we live in a world in which science and scientific fact are still seen as the only real truth in the large part, the largest part of our society, I think, feels that way. As I read the story of your patient, Christine, uh, in the prologue of your book, I was struck by the intensity of that encounter with yourself as you worked with her. Can you tell us about Christine and how that was for you? Yes, I opened Second Sight with the story of a patient of mine named Christine, who I consider a bodhisattva of mine, a a teacher in so many ways. Uh, She was a, a patient of mine who came in with a major depression this was right when I opened up my practice of psychiatry, my private practice, and I put her on antidepressants. Um, she got a lot better, and she was also in therapy with me. Then at about six months into therapy, I suddenly had a premonition that she was going to make a suicide attempt. And because at that point in my career, I wasn't integrating intuition into my practice, I just thought there was no clinical correlation at all, so I didn't even bring it up with her because um, she was doing so, so well. There was nothing to point to it. And so within a couple of weeks, she overdosed on the antidepressants that I prescribed for her and ended up in a coma in an intensive care unit in a hospital in Los Angeles. So that was really my wake-up call, that as a responsible physician, I had to integrate intuition into my practice and with my patients because I felt like I had harmed her by not bringing it up, and that was really devastating to me. So that was my turning point. Christine was my turning point, the beginning of Second Sight. Okay. So so what today, if you had that to do all over again, what would you have done differently? Oh, well, today with all my patients, if I have an intuition about them that feels accurate, I'll broach it with them. Okay. You know, I, I might not do it directly in terms of I had a intuition that you're going to commit suicide, you know, but I would you know, feel around to find out, you know, how the patient was doing in terms of depression or suicide and, and you know, get in the back door with it. So I will follow up on all my intuitive uh, clues that I get in my practice. Okay. And so uh, if you were to tell a colleague who was much more um, scientific than you about that, um, 
what is the response you might get? Well, um, you know, I've told many colleagues <laughs> about this, and it's a wide variety. It's, um, okay, I mean, certainly there's been a huge wave of healthcare that's changing. And, you know, I get so many emails from colleagues, doctors, healers of all kinds, psychologists, nurse healer practitioners, hospice workers, who are, you know, hungering to incorporate intuition into their practice. And, in fact, I give healing um, workshops for healthcare professionals on how to do this. So I would say the majority are hungering, but there's still a contingency of hardcore traditional scientists you know, where statistics equals reality, and they don't really value their intuition. And so the way I talk to those people always is with compassion, with empathy, um, and always tuning in to the vocabulary they can hear. So I tell them about patients and how they could listen to their gut feeling. They often can hear that. Mm-hmm. That's often a good, good entrance into the resistant mind. You know, listening to a gut feeling if you have it about a patient, you know, and showing them, you know, through the examples that I've given in Second Sight, how intuition can be helpful in patient care. And I spoke at the American Psychiatric Association meetings once on Second Sight, and what the doctors responded to most was really practical tips on how they can use intuition in their practice with patients because they were sincerely interested in that. So I found that was the doorway in. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so there's a way to talk about this without sort of getting up on our soapboxes. Oh, no soapboxes. That won't work at all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely I agree. It does. It just shuts it down. No, it's, it, I see myself as an educator. Okay. And all educators have to deal with resistance mm-hmm. and blindness and people who can't see certain things. So you have to be very smart and savvy and intuitive in terms of how to speak to people. That's very important knowing how to speak to people so they can hear you. Yeah, and the thing that I heard you say just a minute ago was you sort of speak their language. Yes, speak their language and never, like when I speak to a group of doctors, I never say, oh, psychic. I never use the word psychic. Right. Because I know the doors will shut Mm -hmm. tight, you know, if I ever do that. So why bring it up? What's the point? Exactly. It doesn't make any difference to me what you call it as long as people learn how to develop it. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, another part of your story, when you talk about your adolescence, I was really struck by the fact that it seemed to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed to me that part of your drug use was an attempt to shut out the intuitive flashes you were receiving. And I know that sometimes it, uh, our most sensitive children are the ones that are getting involved in drugs, and I just think that maybe we should talk about this for just a second, that maybe sometimes drug is a handy coping mechanism for sensitive, intuitive children who would like to avoid that sensitivity and intuitive ability Right. You know, that's why I wrote about my experience with drugs in Second Sight because, you know, as a child, I had all these premonitions about deaths and illnesses and earthquakes and all kinds of scary things. My parents forbade me to ever mention them at home again because they were so upsetting. So, you know, as a child, I was never taught to really embrace my intuition. So it's important to really educate children early on and parents about important it is to embrace intuition, and so I got involved heavily in drugs trying to try and squash my abilities, you see, and I'm not recommending that for anyone. Right. But a lot of intuitive children, you know, or adults who are extremely intuitive and sensitive often go on overload and turn to substance abuse. I've worked a lot with the recovering community, and so many recovering alcoholics and addicts talk about you know, their sensitivity and not knowing how to handle it. And once they get clean and sober, they can, you know, learn how to ground their sensitivity and use it for the good and not be totally overwhelmed so they want to reach for a drink or a drug. Right, right. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that little segue there and talk about how, do you, how does one go about grounding their sensitivity? Oh, well, there are a lot of ways. First of which, you know, in Second Sight, I, I talk about how to develop intuition. So when you have a strategy for developing it, it doesn't always just overwhelm you. Um, so you, you go after it, but in, in a way you're knowing what to listen to in yourself, such as listening to your body, listening to any aha feelings, learning how to work with dreams, which is a chapter in the book, learning how to watch for synchronicities and deja vus. You know, all those things 
will help you get a sense that this is something you can tap into, and it's a friend. It's at your fingertips um, rather than being overwhelmed by it. But there's a section in Second Sight where I talk about psychic empathy or intuitive empathy, which is a lot of times sensitives can pick up energy and pick up stress from people and absorb it into their own bodies so they get exhausted by it. And the way to ground and ground that is to learn how to set very clear limits and boundaries and really important energy management so you're not overwhelmed by the world. I'd have to work with that a lot in myself because I'm an emotional sponge or it's something that I just take on if I don't watch it, and I don't want to. I don't want to take on the suffering of the world because it's none of my business, and plus I'd probably be dead. I wouldn't be able to do, do my work exactly. if, I, if I did that. So... It's important to learn how to meditate as a grounding technique, how to set clear limits and boundaries, um, you know, how to do use shielding techniques, which I talk about in the book. So there are all, there's a wide variety of uh, techniques that one can use as you're developing your sensitivities and intuitions so you don't get overwhelmed by them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got taught that early? That's one of the things. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, I see that in my own practice so many times. I, I, of course, I've had to learn how to ground my own empathic abilities as well, but I, but I also see that so many times with clients who have that ability and they're just carrying around a load of stuff from other people and they just don't know that at all. That's right. They don't know and they feel overwhelmed and so it stops them from developing intuition. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're having a wonderful conversation today with Dr. Judith Orloff, the author of Second Sight, and we're going to be back in just a minute to talk with her some more, so stay tuned. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. 
That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today with Dr. Judith Orloff about her new release, her second release of uh, the book Second Sight. And um, we were talking before the break about some of the ways that um, intuition has been seen in the past. And I want to say one of the quotes that you had in your book was that what intuition was once a sign of profound psychological dysfunction. So I want to sort of explore that just a minute and, and, and ask how we can have, have and can continue to change that perception. Yes. Um, part of, in part of Second Sight, I write about my experience working in emergency rooms every third night in a county hospital during my psychiatric training. And during that time, the only paradigm that traditional medicine has for anything intuitive or, quote, psychic is psychotic. And what I would see is patients rolled in on gurneys in emergencies with the police next to them and they're strapped down, claiming to know God, predict the future, but wanting to hurt themselves or others or feeling that their food was poisoned and that they were essentially psychotic. And so we would shoot them up with Haldol or Thorazine and take them to the inpatient unit um, and then they'd be medicated, and then their claims of psychic uh, experience would be eradicated, basically. So that's, that's the paradigm that is in traditional medicine and in, in the dsm 4 unfortunately. I mean, and it is true, sometimes psychotic people are claiming to be intuitive and have no intuition at all, really. I mean, that is true a lot of times, but what we need is a paradigm in traditional psychiatry for embracing intuition and the difficulties that can come embracing intuition, you know, that people can have, you see. So that, that was the paradigm I was brought up in. You know, there's not really any discussion about intuition and mental health or spirituality and mental health in traditional psychiatry. And that's a, that's a travesty as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, because one of the things that it does is when somebody does have a intuitive flash, they're... Uh, they don't want to talk about it to their therapist, for sure, because <laughs> they might be seen as crazy. As a matter of fact, I have clients say to me, you're going to think I'm crazy, but... Yeah, exactly. That's, well, at least they're telling you. I mean, I, I get all kinds of emails from re- people who have read Second Sight and said, thank you for saying, giving me permission to have intuitions, but I can't tell my therapist because I'm afraid they're going to think I'm crazy. Right. And if you're not telling your therapist about it, that's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. Absolutely. I agree with that. Okay, so now you mentioned medication, so let's talk about that. What about psychotropic medications and intuition and sensitivity? Do, do they dull that, or what, what happens with psychotropic meds? Well, so a long time ago, you know, in terms of antipsychotic meds, I once took a Thorazine just to see what it would feel like, and it is Oh, my God, I could hardly even get up off the bed. I couldn't even move. I felt like a rock. And Thorazine is the treatment they, they use for psychosis. Mm-hmm. So I have deep empathy for people going through that spiritual challenge of psychosis who have to take those meds. I mean, no wonder there's such a big noncompliance because they are miserable to take, miserable. You know, I suppose it's different if somebody's biochemistry needs them. Mine didn't when I took it. I was just seeing what it would feel like, you know, but still, if it's, you know, we, we have not progressed very far in the treatment of schizophrenia. It's very sad. But in terms of antidepressants, um, what I do, in, in, and I have a section on, you know, the intuitive use of medications in my writing. Right. And so when people are on antidepressants, let's say, they have to be monitored very carefully as to their sexuality to make sure it's not cut off their emotional connectedness to make sure it's not cut off, cut off, and their intuitive connectedness. Because a lot of times the um, antidepressants that increase serotonin and norepinephrine repress those three things, and, and that's quite a price to pay. You don't want to pay that price. So they have, the medication, if you're on it, have to, has to be modulated in a very sensitive way. Okay, okay. So you're not saying altogether that we should cut out psychotropic medications for people who need them, but that they should be monitored very carefully. Yes, exactly. All right. All right. And so another quote in your book, which I loved, was, when we approach the intuitive in this spirit, um, 
which was a paragraph before that, not as a means to accumulate power, but as a vehicle for right action, clarity, and service, our intentions remain pristine. And I, I thought that was so profound because the old, the old idea that the psychic has the power of knowledge is, is inherent in that sentence. Can you say some more about what it would mean to um, approach the intuitive in a spiritual fashion that is a vehicle for right action, clarity, and service? Well, the way I, I teach intuition is through the lens of the heart. Whenever I, I teach people to develop intuition, it's always through the lens of loving kindness and unconditional love and in service of health and healing, you see. And that, that's a specific intention that I encourage everyone to have. It's not always true. You know, sometimes people develop very strong intuitive powers but use it to control and manipulate people, you know, or for you know, gaining money and greed and um, not good purposes. You see, uh, intuition can give you power. Of course, it empowers you. But you want to make sure that you use it in service to the good. You know, and that is key in my teachings in Second Sight. And the more you do that in service to the good, the more intuition blossoms and keeps developing I've seen other people who don't use it in service of the good, and it eventually burns out and turns against them. They never have a, a you know, a life of, of doing that. Something always bad happens to them because, that, you know, there is a pristine impulse behind intuition to be used for the good, and then it will blossom. If you use it to control other people or whatever, it, it uh, will turn against you eventually. Yeah. And isn't it also true that a person who might be very intuitive but doesn't really know that, can also be using it uh, to manipulate or control other people, not in any kind of, you know, gigantic cult-like leader, but just, you know, in their daily lives to sort of control other people rather than tuning in to how they can use it for, for the good. Yeah, I mean, one of the main types of people who do that are narcissists. Narcissists are brilliant intuitives oftentimes. You know, they know how to press somebody's button and say exactly what will get to the people in a positive way or hurt them. They're brilliant at that, and they've never developed intuition. It's just part of, you know, how they operate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of the sections you had in the book talked about how you began to teach a client about remote viewing, and I love that because, yeah. uh, I, you know, we would ordinarily think, well, that's not appropriate for, you know, uh, therapy or, or, or psychiatry, but absolutely, you know, I think it is because it's teaching our clients to trust their intuition. Oh, yes. I mean, every patient who comes into me and every workshop participant, I teach them to develop their intuition. I mean, it's, it's very hard for me to, to understand what life would be like if, for them if I didn't teach them that. I mean, you are without a huge skill. If you don't know how to trust your intuition, you're navigating through life without a basic living skill. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I look at it. it it's a huge omission in terms of empowering your life, if you don't know how to see with the capital S, then everything's going to be on the surface and you're just going to be reacting to everything without sensing a deeper meaning. Yeah. And so intuition and remote viewing, which is an intuitive technique I learned early on in my practice um, through my mentor and dear friend over the years, Stephen Schwartz, he, he taught me remote viewing and I talk about that in the chapter on mixing medicines. But um, it's, I teach every patient to tune into their intuition. It's just part of how I do therapy. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and you're so right. I, I think that's kind of like trying to walk down a, bl- a dark alley blind, not being, you know, you just got your arms and hands and feet. You don't have any other sense of things. And yes, I, uh, yes. And how are patients ever going to get empowered if you don't teach them to trust themselves? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Or learn how to draw boundaries or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, to go from beyond surfaces. I mean, people look and sound a certain way, but that isn't necessarily how they are. And intuition can let you see their essence. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be fooled by external appearances. That They're nothing. You know, external appearances say very little about a person a lot of times. So you have to learn how to go deep. We're trying to fool you. Well, they, they don't even know it. Yeah. They don't even, you know, half the time people don't even know it. They, but they are. Their essence is not congruent with how they're presenting themselves. And intuition can tell you that. It's like a truth meter inside. 
You learn to get what's hype, what's not congruent, and what is. You learn to sense that. That's a basic skill in developing intuition is learning that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a real protective device, a self-loving device. It is, but it's just a way to be smart in life. It's yep. an intuitive intelligence, really, at its height. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things you also talked about in the book is how intuition can reach, intuition can reach across the boundaries of faith. Uh, one of the things that you saw growing up in a Jewish home was you saw Jesus in a vision. And, I did, I did. Yes, and I thought that was so beautiful because it's not really about our religion, is it? Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, no, it, it is for a lot of people, though. They prefer to see things in the context of their own religion, which is totally fine. From my perspective, as long as they're tapping into God, as long as they can tap into the love and compassion and intelligence that's there, if that's the way they do it, then that's fine. Yep. Yep, I agree. I don't care how people do it as long as they do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they know if it works or not, if it's just, you know, some intellectual idea that they prefer to believe or whether it's something they can turn to in the middle of the night when their mind is racing and you're going crazy with anguish over something. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're talking today with Dr. Judith Orloff about her new release, Second Sight, and we'll be back in just a minute, so stay tuned. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It's a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
We're back with Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, talking today with Dr. Judith Orloff about her new released, newly released book, Second Sight. And uh, we were talking about uh, how a person might be able to build intuition or grow intuition. Um, and I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. You, you mentioned uh, that your early dreams and visions as a child helped you be prepared to see more. So can you say something about that preparation to see? Yeah, so when I was a child, I had a number of dreams that came true and a number of premonitions. And from as long as I can remember, I've always kind of longed for my dreams, and I've always remembered my dreams. Nobody ever taught me how. I just kind of gravitated towards a dream journal when I was very little and started remembering and writing them down. It's just a, an instinctual thing for me. It's kind of strange when I look back on it, but the dream life has always been more important to me than the waking life and the information that comes through dreams and just the ability to be in dreams, the experience of dreaming is very nurturing for me, for my spirit and how I'm made because I cannot stay awake for too many hours without starting to get tired and you know, needing that other realm to travel in. Wow. So, you know, I've remembered my dreams. And in Second Sight, there's a chapter called The Alchemy of Dreams where I teach techniques on how to remember dreams and the types of different dreams that we have and how to interpret them, you know, which is important. And I, I love this chapter. It was quite a joy for me to write it. Whenever I write about dreams, it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. And I loved it, too. And, and one of the reasons I loved it was because you do are so clear about the different kinds of dreams and uh, uh, guidance dreams and precognitive dreams and healing dreams. And, and I, wanted, I do want to talk about those. How do we distinguish between those different types of dreams? Well, different dreams have different purposes. Uh, the bulk of our dreams are psychological dreams, and these dreams, psychological dreams, and they help everyone point, pinpoint their anxieties, their fears, their insecurities in order to heal them. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage everyone to embrace the psychological dreams and learn from them. It's like shining a light in darkness. If you're being chased on the edge of a cliff by a malevolent pursuer, and you're scared to death, and you're running, and you're about to die, this is a good thing when you wake up to remember it and then go back and ask, who is that pursuer? Is it your abusive father? You know, was it a teacher? Who, who is this person? So that you can begin to heal that and not have the dream anymore. And so dreams give you those kind of psychological clues. But there are also other dreams, such as... Uh, uh, clairvoyant dreams or uh, precognitive dreams where you can dream about the future. You're given information about the future, whether it's yours and others or just in general the planets, anything. You could be given any information. If you're open, open, sensitive receptor, it could come in to anybody. And then you do your best to work with those dreams when you can change something for the good you do change it. And other times you're just a a witness, bearing witness to something that is about to happen. Like I had so many people write me and email me about premonitions that they had about 9-11, mm -hmm. where they had dreams. People all around the world had dreams of planes going into buildings and fires in New York. And it was just a message that was sent out on the intuitive wavelengths. And I, I even had one letter somebody wrote me the year before 9-11 happened, but on 9-11 saying that she had the vision. And I found that very interesting because it was exactly a year before, so the timing was a little off. But it was exactly on 9-11, a year before, that she had the vision. Wow. I know. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. I was one of those people who had a, a dream about 9-11 uh, before it happened, but it was about two weeks before it happened. Yeah. Yeah, and this freaks people out when they have these dreams like this and they come true. Then they're all upset and afraid, and what I'm saying is rejoice in them because a lot of times you can't do anything about something, but the act of seeing in and of itself is light-bearing, and it's holy, and it's sacred, and the ancients knew this. There were seers. There were prophets, and they couldn't do everything, anything about everything, and they knew that, but their job was strictly to see and hold that energy and hold that light. 
And so I hope people can look at it that way. We have such a codependent culture where we feel like we have to go do something about everything. Yeah. Rather than just see. Seeing is a verb. It's a, it's a verb. It's, it's generating energy. It's creating positive energy on earth if, if more people were able to see. So just to appreciate the seeing, and although it's sad to, to predict negative things and unhappy things, it's sad, there's something beautiful about it, too. And you can predict happy things. You know, when intuition be, becomes more finely tuned, you can predict beautiful, happy events. You can know when someone's pregnant. You can predict weddings. You can predict pairings. You can predict wellness. Um, it's just that those kinds of things are a bit more, are more difficult to pick up because they're not as loud a signal as trauma or violence or, you know, more catastrophic things. That's easier to pick up. It's louder on an intuitive wavelength than are the happier things. Yeah. Is there a distinction that you can tell between, a for example, a precognitive dream and a psychological dream? Can you feel the difference in those dreams? Yeah, I go through the difference in the chapter on dreams and second sight. And basically, precognitive dreams and anything intuitive is either neutral, it comes through simply as information, and sometimes you might even feel like a witness watching it as if you were watching a movie. There's an odd sense of detachment to it, um, being a witness state, or else there's a sense of compassion that comes through the intuitions. And psychological dreams are often highly emotionally charged and have a lot of your own psychological issues in it. Like if you have a fear of abandonment, then you'll probably be having dreams about being left places or being lost or not being able to find anyone to connect with. So that's your psychological issue to deal with. No, but intuitive dreams are, you find that neutral segment or there's a segment in terms of energy or light that pops out and there's a knowing in the dreams and communications are just conveyed. For instance, if somebody dies and they want to come back to you to let you know that they're all right, they often come back in dreams in a state, in a younger state when they were healthy and happy to let you know that they're okay. And it's such a compassionate dream, you know, when that comes through. There's so much love that can come through that. So you can trust it's an intuitive dream then. Yep. Okay. Well, that's that's very clear, and I appreciate you making that distinction on air so our, our listeners can hear that. Um, one of the things that you just keep talking about all the way through the book is this sense of that there is a love that shines through, regardless of whatever it is that you're seeing even regardless of your visit to uh, Buchenwald, uh, yeah. you know, you ha- you talk about how there's this sense of light and love and everything, and I want to uh, take some time to talk about that if we can. We don't have a, f- but a few more minutes before the break, but I want to fit that in because I think that's just primary to what you're doing. Well, I through intuition, I sense and know that there's, an incredible love and compassion that is the most powerful force in the universe, that is more powerful than any force of darkness. Intuition can let you know that. Unless you have intuition, the darkness or the fear or the anxiety can overtake you. And so intuition is like a light shining through the darkness. The more you hone it, the more you're honing light, and the more you can feel the essence of love that is everywhere everywhere, even surrounding and permeating through darkness. But this is an intuitive knowing. Don't take my word for it. You have to get quiet and tune in yourself to know this. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things you say is that you you feel like that as, as, um, as people who want to get in touch with intuition, we need to know that we're, we can walk into the darkness as well as the light, and I'm not saying that like you said it, but that's essentially what you meant. And I think that's that's really important too. We tend to want to just shut out the dark stuff and and look only at the light stuff. And well, that won't work. Yep, yep, it doesn't work. And I, you know what? What? But what you've discovered through your uh, and you said, don't take your word for it. And I agreed. Uh, but what you've discovered is that that darkness, just walking into the how dark it is, the minute you get to the bottom of the darkness, that's when you begin to see the light. If you can intuit it. Yep. Okay. If you can't intuit it, you're just swirling into nowhere. Okay. Okay. So practicing more and more to walk to uh, with intuition would help a person have that kind of ability to go down into the darkness and 
Oh, yes. I mean, I talk about, you know, the experience of depression. You know, when you're in a deep, dark depression, I mean, you know, nothing, nothing looks good. And to find intuition allows you to find hope in the darkness. And I've helped many patients with this. Sometimes I've had to be the bearer of hope to hold that light for them when they, they were not able to see it. But that's the spiritual journey of depression is learning how to find that light in the darkness, that stretching toward the light to find hope is an incredible spiritual journey and experience and evolution. And it's right. difficult and terrifying, but it is one version of the spiritual journey. Okay. Well, we're going to be back in just a few minutes to talk some more with Dr. Judith Orloff. for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with our final segment talking today with Dr. Judith Orloff about her book, Second Sight. And I want to give uh, the audience uh, an opportunity to find out more about your work and your website and how they can get some of the special gifts you're offering, Dr. Orloff, if you will. Yes, I'm offering um, one copy of the paper book, Second Sight, with 100 free gifts at drjudithorloff.com. And the gifts include uh, downloads from Deepak Chopra, Shirley MacLaine, Dr. Reverend Michael Beckwith, um, all kinds of people, and it offers um, a free lesson from my Emotional Vampire course 
that's a download that I'm giving, and, and you can get the entire course on the site too. But the one lesson is free, and you can go to drjudithorlaff.com, and my lectures are there also, uh, free articles, free videos. But I guess my most recent lecture will be at um, the New Living Expo in San Francisco on May 1st, and that information is on my website and also um, my weekend at Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California, which is the Halloween weekend in October. That's my most favorite place to give workshops. It's by the ocean. It has a river. It has a organic garden, massage, hot springs, and you learn about intuition all in one weekend, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is incredibly nurturing. And so that's a, um, the power of intuition uh, weekend at Esalen Institute in Big Sur um, in October 31st weekend. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you just have so much to offer, and I'm, I'm, I'm real glad you're, uh, the listeners now can tap into that information on your website. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I want to spend just the last few minutes that we've got together talking about how we can honor the gift of intuition. Well, you can honor it by beginning to trust it in yourself and beginning to say every day, how can I find my intuition? How can I apply it to things? How can I listen? How can I see? How can I move towards the light and towards my own healing using intuition as opposed to just the mind? If you set that intention each day, it'll be really beautiful. I can only promise you. It's so exciting. I consider myself a student of intuition. Um, Every day I learn something new and different because I'm open. And intuition allows you to be in the moment. It insists that you be in the moment because you can't tune in if you're anywhere else. <laughs> right, right. And that's, and that's just the opposite of what we tend to think with the mind, that if you're going to be uh, uh, clairvoyant, you have to be, uh, have your head out there in the future, sort of an out-of-body experience. But that's just No, no, no. It's all about the present moment. Yeah. And being 100% present, it's like opening up your full resources to gain information about past, present, and future. But you can't be anywhere else but the present and tune in. It won't work. Yep, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and so, you know, myself in my own life, one of the ways that I've increased my intuition is with little games. Just, you know, I wonder who that is on the phone and and saying, well, my intuition is telling me it's so-and-so, and and then it turns out (laughs) to be. I'm like, oh, yeah, see, it works. Just little things like that that can sort of help you trust that process and, uh, and, uh, it's, that's real important to be able to just trust it. It is. And another technique that I talk about is psychometry, which is holding on to, let's say, somebody's keys or a piece of their clothing and then being open to any intuitions or knowings that come to you because information gets transmitted through material objects when someone is close with them. So you can practice that way and then get feedback from your friends and see if you're accurate, see if you're not, and I want to emphasize it's all a learning process. Of course you're going to be wrong a lot, you know, but you learn from that. You see where you're wrong, you see where you're right, you hone it. So you have to have a tolerance for making mistakes here. You know, that's part of it. I mean, I've made a million mistakes in my development and still do at times, you know, so just part of it all. So you have to accept that and learn from everything. For instance, I used to censor things that sounded too weird or bizarre, and I found out that what I censored was the most accurate. Huh. So it was through the mistake of censoring that I learned not to censor. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've figured out is that I, there's a certain kind of feeling that I get with a certain kind of information that when it's not, when it's not really my intuition but maybe a fear or a thought, I don't have that same feeling. So it, I guess just sort of being able to walk around in that inner terrain helps you figure out what's, what's really the true intuition and what's not. Well, you've got to get used to it. You know, you've got to get used to hanging out there. And when it becomes just a part of your everyday perceptions, it, it can only add to things, and it is so much fun. I mean, this isn't hard work. I just want to say that. This is, every time you see something, it enlivens you. And every time you, you tune in, you get more energy. So it, it's a, a process of self-healing and self-knowledge and and fun. I mean, the more playful you are, the more intuitive insights will come in. They won't come in if you're overly serious and pushing. This is one of those things where that, that type of stuff won't work. <laughs> yeah, 
The harder you try, the wor- the the less. The worse it gets. You yeah, don't want to try too hard because then you won't be intuitive. It doesn't work that way. So it's kind of built into the process, which is great. You can't try too hard because it won't work. Yep, yep. That's another example of that cease striving thing. That we can stop trying so hard and we can get out of our own way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's intuition. If you don't do that, then you won't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the difference? Uh, this is going, probably going to be a brief real answer, but what's the difference between being spiritual and being psychic? Well, one can be psychic without being spiritual at all. You know, one can be psychic and use it for control, greed, and manipulation, not based on any spiritual principles. But when you combine intuition with your spiritual belief systems, if they're based on compassion, then you have something really powerful going on. Mm-hmm. And I believe that when it's done that way, intuition is the doorway into the spirit. I was interviewed on Deepak Chopra's radio show, and he said it so beautifully. He says, intuition is like eavesdropping, you know, on the greater universe. Yeah. I love that. I, I love too. that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, it is, and that, and yeah, it's to it's, it, to me, it's kind of like there's this river of information that's always running below everything. Yeah, and what exactly. I have to do is tap into it. Yeah, exactly, exactly it. it. It's below the busyness. It's below all the striving. It's below the to do list. You know that layer of uh, awareness that isn't going to give you the intuitions. It's you get quiet. You use the breath to get you there. You can get beneath that external layer, superficial layer of existence and tune in. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the river of life. Yeah, there definitely is the river of life. Yep, yep. <laughs> Absolutely, I do think it is. So, and that, and that love that you've been able to find as you've gotten deeper and deeper is just so available in that river. Everybody, if you want it, if you long for it, if you want to go there, it's everybody, everybody. It's not... Any, people aren't left out of this. That's right. There's no one left out. This is for everybody. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Orloff, for talking with us today. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I'm sure our, our, our listening audience has benefited as well. Oh, I'm so happy. I've enjoyed it, too. All right. Well, we're going to be back next week to talk about acceptance, which is not a white flag. So tune in again for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.